The scripture lesson today comes from Acts, the 10th chapter. I'll be reading from verse 25 through verse 34. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in order to honor him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Get up! Like you, I'm just a human. As they continued to talk, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You all realize that it is forbidden for a Jew to associate or visit with outsiders. However, God has shown me that I should never call a person impure or unclean. For this reason, when you sent for me, I came without objection. I want to know then why you sent for me. Cornelius answered, Four days ago, at this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon, I was praying at home. Suddenly, a man in radiant clothing stood before me. He said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers, and your compassionate acts are like a memorial offering to him. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and summon Simon, who is also known as Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, located near the seacoast. So I sent for you right away, and you were kind enough to come. And now here we are, in the home of Simon the Tanner, located near the seacoast. I sent for you right away, and here we are. And now we're in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has directed you to say, he concluded. And Peter said, I really am learning that God does not show partiality to one group of people over another. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. It had already been a tumultuous week this past week in our nation's political landscape when President Trump showed up for a bipartisan prayer breakfast this past Thursday, a meeting where for the past 60 or so years, elected officials and clergy of all stripes had gathered to focus on what unites, to set aside their differences, and to seek an hour or two of unity, goodwill, and hopefully some spiritual guidance Upon the start of the prayer breakfast, President Trump held up two different newspapers with headlines announcing his acquittal from the Senate impeachment trial before making a couple of thinly veiled threats against his political opponents. opponents. Ironically, the theme for the day was love your enemies, a challenging yet central teaching of the Christian faith given by Jesus himself in the Gospels. Love your enemies. Arthur Brooks, a Harvard professor and prominent conservative thinker, delivered a passionate plea, the next portion of the prayer breakfast, to Americans to put aside hatred in national life and do just what Jesus taught, love your enemies. At one point, Mr. Brooks asked the audience, how many of you love somebody with whom you disagree politically? And hands shot up all around the room, 
He said, I'm going to round that up to 100%. But what he did not seem to notice was that President Trump was among those who did not raise their hands. Before the end of the meeting, President Trump would launch into his further aggression towards political rivals, even seeming to acknowledge that his own words were not in keeping with the Love Your Enemies theme. And he told the keynote speaker after the Love Your Enemies speech, I don't know if I agree with that. To be clear, the president wasn't disagreeing with Arthur Brooks. He was disagreeing with Jesus' words. To not challenge this from the pulpit in our churches is to accept this as the norm. And actions like this by the person in the most powerful office in our land, if left unchallenged, are not only a threat to the norm but to our democracy, and they're a threat to the soul of the Christian faith and to goodwill and to any measure of decency and bipartisanship we have left in this nation. And in light of this scripture lesson we read a moment ago, I sum up what happened this way. The president took what could have been holy and made it profane. That much should be easily spotted for any Christian of good faith with clear eyes to see. Now, in our scripture lesson from Acts chapter 10, there's an interchange going on. Did you catch it? Between what can be viewed as holy and what can be viewed as profane. But the question in my mind as I read the scripture lesson, is something made profane that was holy in the scripture we read, or was something made holy that was profane? I suppose the answer to the question regarding the scripture lesson depends on the perspective of those reading the scripture. And not only us today, but those who would have been hearing and seeing this story unfold. And so to have an informed opinion on this matter, we have to understand what happened in the first 24 verses of Acts chapter 10, which we did not read before our scripture lesson, though many of these happenings were hinted at in our scripture lesson. Let me summarize it for you in case you're not familiar with this chapter. This is a very crucial chapter in the life of the Christian church. Cornelius is a Roman officer. Romans are the bad guys. He's a Gentile. He's a heathen. And according to Jews, and also even early Christian thinking, he's all of these things because, well, he's incapable of faith or faithfulness in their mind's eye. And yet we are told in the scripture here by the narrator, Luke we'll call him, that Cornelius is a God-worshipping, compassionate person who exhibits faith and faithfulness. And this is already getting scandalous, you see, if you were reading this 2,000 years ago and seeing this. And then Cornelius has the audacity to dream a dream, to see a vision that he, this dirty, rotten, no good, unclean Gentile, would actually be welcomed into the faith. And so he sends his personal staff to find Peter and see if such a thing It's just a dream, or if there's a remote possibility, he also might be included. Well, meanwhile, Peter is off in another place having his own vision, and his is more cryptic. It requires a bit more work on his part and on the part of those interpreting the dream. Peter sees a giant sheet descending from above him, and in this sheet are all of the animals 
that any devout practicing person of faith were clearly commanded in the scriptures not to eat. They were commanded not to eat them. They were deemed unclean according to the purity laws. And in Peter's vision, he is exhorted to eat these unclean animals not once, not twice, but three times, and still he refuses to open himself to the possibility that this might be God speaking to him to go against a scripture, a teaching, a religious practice. And so, you see, he refuses to open himself to this possibility. To compromise on this clear scriptural command would certainly bring Peter criticism and make his objective in growing this Jesus movement and helping it gain traction much more difficult. I mean, the Bible said, don't eat these critters. And clearly, if the Bible said it, and he believes it, that settles it, right? I mean, right? Well, Peter does invite Cornelius inside and, and Cornelius' personal staff and lets them spend the night. And, and the next day, he, he, or rather it's the staff, and the next day he journeys to go see Cornelius. And they get together, you know, and, and he actually enters a Gentile's home for this meeting. And not only uh, were Gentiles viewed as profane, but to be in their home. And, and, you know, you were being around people who ate these animals you weren't supposed to eat and who had practices you just didn't do. They did stuff that was just gross. And, and not only that, but this man, Cornelius, he was a soldier in the occupying army of the government who was taking over. And so here is Peter, a holy man, a devout man of God, with a quandary. Well, Peter tells Cornelius, you know, he walks in, and it's even more of a quandary because Cornelius, you see, throws himself, this is where we pick it up, he throws himself down at Peter's feet, and Peter said, what? He said, get up, I, I'm a man just like you. Get up, I mean, so what were they thinking? Cornelius is in the floor, were they thinking, well, those heathen Gentiles, they'll worship anything that moves if given a chance. Or were they thinking, well, he's just putting on a show, we don't know what they were thinking. But Peter tells him to get up, and then he does something scandalous. Peter says something heretical. Verse 28, hear it again. You all realize that it is forbidden for a Jew to associate or visit with outsiders. However, God has shown me that I should never call a person, not an animal, one of those critters, but I should never call a person impure or unclean. And so here we're faced with a dilemma. They were quite certain that God had already spoken on this matter. It was settled. The proper religious practice, the Bible was clear. So what happened? Well, in nerdy theological terms, it's called progressive revelation. But in more down-to-earth fashion, let's say God moved the goalposts. In keeping with today's sermon title, let's just say that God is still speaking. It's a grand reversal. Peter, the super-religious one, is actually in need of a conversion. <laughs> Imagine. And the one, it's a rank heathen, was already holy. Mm. Are you listening? 
people with the strongest religious convictions are quite often deeply in need of a conversion. We somehow become firmly entrenched on the wrong side of our own holy books. And as much as I hate to say it out loud, I've been there. I've been there. I won't ask for a show of hands. There was actually never a Bible verse, by the way, that commanded Peter not to associate with outsiders of the faith, but there might as well have been. The Bible verses were pertaining to dietary restrictions, but in an effort to separate themselves from others who didn't follow the same dietary restrictions and their same religious rules, Jewish people and early Christians like Peter had drawn boundaries that God had not drawn between very real, very much alive human beings and themselves, The evidence of this kind of practice is actually found in in the few surviving documents of rabbinic teachings that survived the destruction of the Jerusalem temple shortly after the time of Jesus. The barriers were their own making, not God's. The barriers between nations were their own making, not God's. The barriers that were theological were of their own making, not God's. The doctrinal little things they like to argue about were of their own making in the whole book of Acts, not God's making. The barriers were economic, and they were of their own making, not God's. So, and this pattern, by the way, it has never stopped. The pattern is very much the same today. The scriptures become weaponized over time, something God never intended. Do you know how to tell when a Bible verse has become weaponized? Are you familiar with the practice of such? Well, first, the Bible has become weaponized when it is used to, quote, settle a debate instead of start a holy conversation. And second, the Bible has become weaponized when it is used to take away another person's free moral agency or shrink their inherent God-given sacred worth. The day of the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, must be ended. The age of God is still speaking is here. In the United Church of Christ, we proudly champion this vision of the continuing testament of God as written upon the hearts of all of God's people. The book of Acts has been called by many the Acts of the Apostles. But I agree with the Reverend Dr. William Willimon It says a better name would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit for the book of Acts because the Spirit comes, and when the Spirit comes and brings light to the pages of their scriptures and to the uh, the practice of their understandings, the Spirit never leads towards a more narrow practice or a more narrow reading, but always towards an expansion and inclusiveness. And there is room here in this story of Cornelius and Peter to show us that there is always a seat at the table. There is always more room. There is always a place. And that whosoever will may come into the family of God. And there are no religious tests. There are no Bible verses. There are no creeds. There are no doctrinal quizzes nor dietary restrictions that we should ever allow to keep anyone out. This is where you can say amen. I mean, if you believe it. (laughs) 
And any religious person sitting back on their hypocritical haunches using the scriptures as a means to create purity tests explicitly designed for others to fail is not handling the scriptures responsibly. Did you hear me earlier when I said, as much as I hate to admit it, I've been here myself? And it took me the better part of a 90-hour Master of Divinity degree to change my heart and my mind. I was a deeply religious person in need of a conversion experience, and I had no clue that it was me that needed to be converted. I was an ordained pastor. I was respected and heralded as a religious leader with authority and promoted quickly through the ranks of my clergy peers, and I used the Bible as a weapon at one point in my career. I used it to win arguments. I used the Bible to defend my deeply held religious convictions, and in doing so, I caused harm to lesbian, to gay, to bisexual, to transgender and queer persons. I myself once used the Bible routinely to defend my deeply held con political convictions. I myself was taking what was holy and making it profane by weaponizing the Bible. I used it to settle arguments, always in my favor, conveniently. And I used it to take away the free moral agency and dignity of other human beings without even realizing it. I used the Bible to say how we should follow the law of the land, you know, without reading what it had to say about how immigrants were to be treated, actually, by people of faith. I used the Bible to defend my, quote, zero loopholes conviction about abortion by taking a few Bible verses horribly out of context to support my position without any regard for what this did to the free moral agency of women and their right to make decisions for themselves. I was clearly not compassionate in hindsight, but I was so damn religious in my own eyes. I was taking something that should have been so holy and making it absolutely profane. And if you asked me, I was just doing exactly what the Bible clearly said. But in reality, I was in need of a conversion. And after a rocky, tumultuous journey through seminary the second time, <laughs> who said I'm a slow learner? <laughs> I finally got it. Not that I've arrived, but the light broke through in pieces. And when our view of the scriptures are used to stop conversations rather than start holy conversations, we are taking what is holy and we're making it profane. And when we use our view of the scriptures to diminish the free moral agency and human dignity of any other human being because we have deemed their practice or their personhood profane, we are deeply misguided. And when the blinders begin to fall off, as they did for the uber-religious Peter, we too see that God does not, in fact, show partiality to one group of people over another. An important message at the end of a horrible week of division. We must see that there is no need for gatekeepers in God's family because all of God's family are like those happy chickens, free-range children of God. And we must stop using the Bible to make profane who and what already are holy. 
because we happen to read a Bible verse and interpret it once and for all does not mean we've gotten it right. And we must remain humble and open to new insight and understanding because God's Spirit is still and always has been speaking a message of love and inclusion and justice at all times, in all places, for those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. God has, in fact, never stopped speaking. God is still speaking. So, beloved church, you may look around. You may look at ourselves, and you may think, well, we're a tiny church. What difference can we really make? (laughs) But you've already made a big difference, and you already are, and you still are making huge impacts on the world around us by living out our faith in this humble yet powerful love and justice-filled way of the still-speaking God. Can I just remind you a little bit about the goodness you're participating in by being a part of this fellowship. The Bible said there were clearly women who should be silent in the church. But you, dear ones, dug deeper. You saw it was not God's intention, but a limited human understanding and interpretation of the Scripture. And so we rose up in courage, and we told our sisters and our mothers and our daughters, preach, lead, and we will not only follow, but we will run with you. We rose up and we decided, you know, we read these Bible verses and we said, you know, that's silly. Also, while you're at it, run for office. Pursue your dream. Be the boss. Be the person you feel called to be and we'll not only support you, but we'll fight with you for your right to do it. And because of this very community, at this very church, there will be and perhaps already are LGBTQ persons who become presidents of banks and nations and schools and who who lead the way in so many bright and shining fashions. The Bible clearly said being homosexual was wrong to many of our religious brothers and sisters, but we dug deeper and we realized that was never God's intention. The still-speaking God converted us just like Peter, and we saw it was our own confusion about sex, ew, and power, yuck, and not the beauty and the worth of our LGBTQ companions. And we said, you're not only welcome among us here in the family of God, but we support you in your quest for equality, and we fight with you for love. And we do it right here because we're family. And not only are you welcome, but you're encouraged to step up and lead us. And one day, because of the teaching and guidance we have received in this beloved community, that we are building in this very fellowship, one of us, or maybe several of us, will have the courage to stand in between a bully and a person on the margins, maybe a person of color, maybe a person who, whose body is differently abled, a much more empowering way than saying handicapped, by the way. And we might have the opportunity to speak words of love and affirmation that stand against the evil limitations of a society who is not in tune with the inherent worth and dignity imparted by the still-speaking God. And one day it will happen. In fact, it already has. I've heard reports about your good deeds in this community. And we're building this kind of world starting right here because of the teachings of Jesus. And we have discerned together and shared these with one another. It's already happening. I've heard of the reports of your faithfulness, young and old, declaring the inherent worth of all people in both word and in deed. And someday... 
Someone who has been told their entire lives that they are worthless and they've actually started to believe it. Instead of taking their own life, they'll reach for the phone and they'll call one of you because you told them they mattered. And someday, someone will walk up to you and say, man, I'm so tired of going to my church and hear about all the people that are going to burn in hell. And you can say, well, (laughs) come to our church and help us raise heaven. And maybe they will, and maybe you'll convert one of those super religious people. And maybe, maybe it's you that needs converting. I don't know. Maybe there's always room to experience conversion like Peter experienced. I just want to hear, stand in this pulpit and tell you today that what we are doing matters deeply. It matters eternally. And so when I stand here in this pulpit and I remind us each Sunday... Hey, at our church, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're welcome here. (laughs) You might think it's just lip service, but no. This is the rudder that steers the ship. And we may never fully understand all of the impacts that a community like ours built on unconditional love and justice and acceptance can have on our city, on our state, or on our nation, or on our world for that matter. But we must continue building it even when we do not see the fruits. Life is too short for mean-spirited religion that seeks to further convince itself of its already predetermined answers by searching for proof texts from the Bible. Anyone can do that. We must instead listen at every turn in the road and we must act with love and courage and compassion to the still speaking God's voice if we are to stay in tune with God. For God is indeed still speaking. Thanks be to this still speaking God. Amen. Amen.